0: Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uessa. And this is Daniel Winter. How are you, Mark? I'm doing pretty well, yeah. Halloween's behind us and uh, hurtling forward into the holidays. Yes, we're lucky to have a nice, uh,
1: beautiful, clear Halloween weekend here, and now we're going into the long dark, speaking of our last game that we covered, uh, for the next six months of uh, darkness and rain, I think. So uh, we had one last nice weekend.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe there'll be more chances for uh, in-person board games soon
1: exactly yeah i've unfortunately had a bit of an illness going through our family the last couple of weeks it hasn't been a lot of time for in-person games but hoping to pick that up again sometime soon but uh, luckily
0: that means we have plenty of video games to talk about as well (laughs) so we've been talking about changing things up a little bit with the show format yeah we've been at this for a couple of months
1: now Uh, not locking ourselves into anything right now but thinking we might try and balance the scales between board games and video games a little more so that we can cover each of them a little bit on each episode and there might be some games that don't have enough to to carry a full episode by themselves so but it still gives us a little bit of a chance to to talk about those but i guess if you have if you have any thoughts on the format and how it's working please let us know similarly if you have any questions on any of the particular games that we're covering you can let us know uh on our on website or just email us directly at omnigamersclub@gmail.com.
0: club at gmail.com looking to hear what you have to say so daniel what have you been playing recently
1: Speaking of balancing the scales, I have been playing a card game and uh, I know this is a little blasphemous around here, but it's not on Game Pass. Uh, I actually bought a video game for the first time in quite some time. This is Inscription, a roguelike. It's one of those games a a card rogue style game similar to i guess the the most commonly known one is slay the spire i don't know if you've played that or any any of those other games
0: mark oh yeah i play uh, slay the spire regularly on uh, my tablet and played the heck out of that one and similar spin-off games like uh, monster train and and the more recent um, rogue book which i wasn't super jazzed about but I, i should give it another shot
1: I've heard good things about Rogue Books. I think that's Richard Garfield, but uh, I've only played Slay the Spire of of those at least. Uh, But this, so this will be quite familiar then. It's going to be, it's quite similar in that there's a top-down map of scenarios that you're moving through. And some of those may be a card battle. Some of those may be a little meta mini game that you might be upgrading some of your cards or cycling out some cards or buying upgrades. But it has a very lo-fi sort of 90s playstation one vibe uh all very sort of muddy there's a little bit of a, a, a sort of a fourth wall element here where it's kind of like you're viewing the game through a crt monitor if you're familiar with this game's uh, designer at all i don't recall the name off the top of my head but he designed pony island which was very much fourth ball breaking. So that may give you some hints as to where this game is going. The card game itself, it's more of like a a lane battler. Something like, it's a battle line, I guess, or Shoten Toten. Some of those those card games where there's several lanes that you're comparing your, your cards in your lane, on your side of the lane, to your opponent's card on their side of the lane. And the trick is rather than just having a flat like health, that you're attacking your opponent, take down your health and you win. It's basically a scale that you're pushing and pulling. If you damage your opponent five health points, you tip the scale a certain degree that you have to push it all the way. If they damage you, the scale tips back again. So it's not that like you just have to deal off amount of damage. So that, that, that leads to some interesting mechanics in when you choose to play defensively versus offensively. As far as the cards themselves, there's some interesting mechanics there in that, basically, to, to play certain cards, you have your base cards that are free squirrels. You play them down, they have like one health and no attack. But to play anything else, you have to sacrifice a card. And these squirrels are sort of perfect little vessels to just sacrifice them to get another card down and there's increasingly powerful cards that might need you to require sacrifice two cards to get down and they're gradually ramping that up and so the, the base mechanics are quite simple in that you're just placing these cards they all have a pretty pretty simple attack and defense value but where the game really gets quite tricky is that there are a, a bunch of symbols like the, uh, sigils i think they're called that will give each card an ability whether it's flying or defense or thorns the the, the typical sort of magic the gathering style mechanics but then the, you have boss battles basically that really shake up the mechanics they'll break the game in certain ways like make all of your cards into rocks <laughs> the first boss just turns all of your cards into rocks and you just can't do anything with them until until you break them down and play new cards. And every boss you come across is just breaking the game in some unique way like that. And I won't spoil it too much, but the game is constantly just moving on with these new ideas and you never really have the chance to sort of experiment with this one mechanic too much. It's just moving on to new ideas and, and throwing new concepts and mechanics at you. It reminds me a little bit of, of some discussion of, of Mario and some of how those, like Mario Odyssey, for example, just has so many little concepts that it never belabors the point of making you work on this one mechanic too long. It's just introduce this one mechanic for this one little mini quest and then moving along and trying something new. So it's it's, it's quite cool like that. Yeah, so that that's Inscription.
0: I've heard some interesting things about Inscription that uh, it has a, a fairly fixed scope. There's a a campaign that has a, a definitive end and, and such—is it like a replayable game?
1: That's the one thing. Again, I can't say too much without spoiling it, though. Uh, if you, like I said, if you've played any of this designer's previous games, that may give you an idea. But it, it is to say, it, it's quite easy to break the game but you can find certain combos that are just completely overpowered. It's not, they're not immediately apparent, so it might take you a few playthroughs and fail, failures to, to find those. But it kind of inevitably funnels you into this point where you'll find a way to break the game. But that's that's not the end of it. There isn't a lot of replayability in that. Like those base mechanics aren't necessarily super replayable in that they're not 100% balanced. It's not a game that you can play endlessly necessarily, but there is more to it without saying too much more. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) a shot. One thing I didn't mention is that you can stand up from the table. (laughs) So you can actually step back and then move around the room where the table is, and there's a few little puzzles there you can solve that are completely independent of the card game. It's sort of like an escape room. So there's some other little uh, fun stuff there as well.
0: Yeah, it does seem very aesthetically quite moody.
1: Yeah, it has a great, uh, some great sort of horror vibes. It's not scary, but it has sort of crypt keeper vibes. Watch the trailer; it gives you a, a pretty good idea of what you're in for. <laughs>
0: aesthetically, it reminds me a little bit of a game I played called uh, Hand of Fate. You know that one?
1: Yes, yeah. So I had never played a lot of that, but it is quite similar. That you have a the opponents that you're playing against is very much a character and then a rating as you go through
0: this set of
1: sequences. So that, that's, quite, that's quite similar, I guess.
0: Well, interesting stuff to try out. I'll talk about my game. Uh, so I've been playing a bit more of Avengers, but um, we may talk about that at length in the future. So uh, I'll save that for now. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Dishonored. The original Dishonored, yeah? Yeah, that's right, a Dishonored 1. It came out in 2012. I finished it recently. I mean, I, I used to play it back in the day i kind of got caught up in all the death loop buzz that's been going around (laughs) so i thought you know what that's an arcane game this is an arcane game i'm gonna boot it up and finally finish it it took me several weeks 30 minutes at a time on the (laughs) exercise bike but i did it it is one of the more older games i've been playing recently although you know i'm not afraid of booting up an old game um I, i quite enjoy it actually yeah, it is, it is not a spring chicken. It's showing a bit of its <laughs> age. It actually was a little bit old school even then, I think. It um, mirrored uh, some other game designs that I really enjoy, like the original Deus Ex PC game, which was a fantastic uh, narrative adventure RPG where uh, essentially it let you take many different paths it gave you a lot of choice as to how to traverse a, a level and that's what i really appreciated about deus Ex. and similarly dishonored is exactly like that um, you have one fairly fixed scope level but it gives you you know five or six different ways to get through it
1: classic immersive sim
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i like it a lot it's like you know rats in a maze right and obviously it's inspired by the stealth game boom that was, I guess, tapering off even then, the sort of Metal Gear Solid or Splinter Cell uh, tradition. I think it carved its own space there, uh, first of all, being a a first-person game. It it does a fantastic job of being a first-person stealth game, and you get to do cool stuff with some of the more magical abilities that your main character, Corvo, has. I appreciate the fact that you could go your own way with the um, the level ups that you get. I tried to go non-lethal. Um, actually, <laughs> one of the cool aspects of the game is that it sort of um, responds to how you play. Uh, you may have seen, based on my uh, Xbox Live achievements, that I played very, what's the word? High uh, chaos. <laughs> i got a notification that you were... <laughs> with a high degree of chaos, that's right. <laughs> I won't spoil it, but the character that you rescue at one point Uh, reacts to how you have behaved through the course of the game when she reveals something this creation that she's been working on she reveals it to you placing a mirror back on your your actions and your behavior in what is you know essentially a very you know mechanically heavy action adventure game they built in some interesting you know psychological perspective and moral dimension to it so i i really liked it it was good enough that you know you might want to pick it up and play it a different way next time
1: i played that back in the day close to when it first came out and i'm pretty sure i finished that i seem to recall though that there's quite explicitly a good ending and a bad ending like you certainly have the choice of which you whether you want to go high chaos or low chaos but the game does like there is an explicitly better ending <laughs>
0: from from memory. I don't uh, really let those different endings rule my gameplay choices. Uh, at very least, for the first time I play, I sort of just play the way I want to play. And usually, you may know this of me, but I, I don't have a lot of patience for, for games that take a lot of time. And I felt like this game felt a little too long for my taste. You know, I would have preferred it if it was, you know, one, one level shorter. I think it would have been a nice, tight adventure ride. But um, yeah, I, I don't really ever try to min max the endings to go a certain way, just sort of let it go. And uh, I thought the ending, gameplay-wise, was a little bit of a, a letdown. Uh, I mean, I think the previous level was a better place to, to end it, essentially. I, I won't say too much about that. I think it's worth playing. It's worth playing your own way. Uh, even if you're not familiar with some of these older games, it's still polished. The level designs are quite good. The core mechanics are really, really solid a little repetitive. Basically, it builds upon a solid core of mechanisms, and then it's just kind of variations on a theme. And it builds and builds and builds. And then you get to see this very kind of stark Victorian steampunk world that's quite gray. But, you know, there's there's obviously been a lot of loving care applied to it. Yeah, I, I think a really solid game in the end.
1: Yeah, I don't remember a lot of that first game. It does have a lot of great World building. I th- what I really struggled with that game was in mean, a. As I think I mentioned before, I struggle playing the the, the evil ending, or if if isn't the option to go non lethal to have the sort of the good morality route, I will always take that for better or worse. And in this game, it can be quite tedious. Bit, you're often tempted to 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 save and reload, save and reload, save and reload until you get it just right. And then I often end up just burning myself out. And that's exactly what happened with the second game. I did finish this, although I do seem to recall that because you, you have like, like some magical abilities and upgrades that you get throughout the game, and that varies based on whether you would have the, the high chaos or the low chaos, like the, the lethal, non-lethal. And I seem to recall the, the 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 non-lethal abilities being quite boring, and it seemed like the non the, the, the lethal players were going to have be having a lot more fun <laughs> from from what I remember seeing of that.
0: I think that's okay. I mean the newer Deus Ex games like the Human Revolution had a very similar breakdown of there's clearly upgrade tracks that you weren't going to gain access to if you weren't going for a guns out play style. And you know, I think that's totally fine because you know it's it's choices, right? If we could only play one way, then it wouldn't be a very interesting game. So I do appreciate that I can play my own style. I could even mix it up. I don't try and be beholden to the right way to to get the right ending uh ever i just kind of let it go and see what happens
1: well I, i've been meaning to check out the death of the outsider i think it's called that's a the the newest relatively new sort of standalone expansion to the second game so i'm thinking that might be a more enclosed sort of a, a shorter experience that's somewhat self-contained so maybe i'll, I'll try that for a just just get a bit of a taste
0: again (laughs) it'll be a little while for me i feel like i'm a bit burned out on dishonored (laughs) for the time being but i'm sure I'll, i'll be uh hitting up number two in a little while
1: well uh with that why don't we take a break and come back for our main coverage for yokohama
0: Great, so Daniel, you already mentioned the game we're going to be playing today. Uh, tell us a bit more about it. Yes, yeah, so today's featured game. It is a bit back to the the
1: board game side of the scales, for what it's worth. Uh, it is Yokohama, released in 2016, and designed by Hisashi Hayashi. This is actually the the only one of his games that I've played. Oh, that's, that's not right. I have played String Railway. It's a little, a fun little train game. It's uh, using string that's the only component basically in the game but he, he has quite a few train games i think he's what he's mostly known for uh that is trains which i think is a deck building game in metro x
0: and apparently hisashi hayashi-san participated in some of the artwork as well along with adam MacGyver, Oryo nyamo as well and this game was published by okazu brand uh, and G mental games in north america r.i.p uh tasty minstrel i think they're now defunct so that is sad news that tasty minstrel games tmg sounds like it's going away because i really enjoyed most of their games that they put out
1: yeah all ons was it was a favorite of mine which i think is now with capstone and yeah, the yeah, eminent domain hits. is
0: i think my still my favorite number one game or number one card game at least
1: oh excellent I need to try that one again they they're now uh sort of winding down let's put it that way
0: Let's hope all those wonderful games of theirs find a good new home. Yeah, so this one
1: may actually be hard to find now, unfortunately. Although I, I did just pick up a physical copy from a friend who was uh, passing on his his deluxe edition. So I, I have that to play with. Uh, but there's also a nice implementation on Board Game Arena, which we've largely been playing.
0: Yeah, exactly. I also have a physical copy of Yokohama. I, I bought it many years ago. And I probably only played this game three or four times in person. But, you know, many dozens of times recently, Uh, on uh, BGA, so that's been fantastic. We played just this past week, uh, and that was a fun experience with four players. Yokohama, of course, it's based in Japan in the the, um, port city of Yokohama set during the uh, Meiji restoration period. So this is when Japan is opening up from its self-imposed restriction to the rest of the world, gaining new uh, industrial technologies and basically you are a group of merchants trying to sell a variety of wares, and win at business in Yokohama.
1: <laughs> and currying curry favour with the sort of foreign powers that, that have a presence in, in Japan there. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a distinct setting, I found. I, I didn't really know much about that period specifically, but I was doing a bit of research and uh, yeah, it does have a, a strong sense of, of, of time and place, this game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've been to Yokohama myself and it's a unique city in Japan because it's quite, it's quite westernized. Like some of the warehouses that you put down in the game are literally places that you can visit now and they've been restored and you know there's like you know shopping malls and, and things and yokohama chinatown is the largest chinatown in japan and it's a an important action in the game so uh, i like all the artistic uh, and thematic touches they've added to the game and
1: i guess that also means you get to go first every time i think it's like the last person to have visited yokohama is, is the prerequisite there
0: <laughs> happy to be first all the time before we talk too much about the background what what type of game is this daniel
1: not to sound too much like a broken record, but this is a worker placement with a twist. <laughs> I know, I'm, this is quite distinct from that, though, where all of the spaces that you can place your workers are connected. You basically have this grid of tiles that are sort of like a more of a pyramid shape, but they are all connected to adjacent adjacent tiles and. When you're activating these spaces you can basically have to move between them so you have your president that's you're basically using to activate locations and take abilities in those spaces but to move to a new location you have to have assistance. these little mini meeples both on the new location and any locations between like along the route where you're trying to move there has to be a, a clear path, basically, to move between it. So there's a strong sort of spatial route building element there, which I guess is is classic to
0: his background in train games. Exactly, yeah. I was reminded of a lot of train games when playing this because uh, you are literally building out those routes. You have to, you know, move your, your boss, your president along those routes that you establish. And one of the challenges of the game is once you utilize uh, some of those spaces, you, you start to break down those routes. And that's a, another really intriguing mechanism in this game, a, a pseudo train game set in one urban city. I want to mention that a couple other high level th- details uh card drafting is very prominent in this game there's two types of cards you can draft uh, technology cards which you sort of use to build up your engine they let you you know break certain rules if you gain those cards and they gain you those um all important international flags which you will be collecting sets of to earn some points Also, you will be collecting orders. So we said before that you were merchants. One of the core ways to gain uh, points in this game is to essentially fulfill these orders, which like a lot of Euro games is just turning in a set, a combination of resources that you've collected by moving along some of the resource production spaces.
1: Yeah, so we have, as mentioned, all these tiles laid out in this grid, and about half of those are dedicated to gaining the various resources. Is fish, tea, silk, and... Metal or I think, and so a lot of what you're going to be doing is just—it's it, fairly basic, collecting those resources. Although the assistance that you place that you're using to build up your routes are also powering up the abilities, because when you activate a space, you basically get a certain number of, of resources or, or, or power to your action based on how many pieces you have there. So if you have three assistants and your president then you're now you're getting 40 instead of just one so you're is a, is a, similar to how architects are we were discussing last episode there's definitely an element of building up powering up oh yeah spaces. that's a good point
0: i was thinking a lot about uh, istanbul actually in in the sense that the, you you make those routes with your assistants but unlike istanbul i believe all the pieces are the same there's no boss all of them sort of act the same and, and they sort of affect um where which spaces you can move to in this case on your turn if you have assistants, and you you might actually start the turn with zero assistance if you have them you can place up to three assistants on three separate spaces so that might be the tea plantation the silk mill and the bank you can alternatively place two of your assistants on one space which builds a power the power you have on a space is dependent on a few factors. Every piece of your color that you put down on a space. So that's going to be your assistance. definitely your your president, although there's one way around that. And then any other, I believe they're called shops and trading houses that you might already have on the space. You build them there if you have them and when you have utilized at least four or five power. 5 power is ostensibly the maximum power you can apply to any given space, although you might be able to trade in some resources to boost those even beyond that. But essentially, every action space has a cost in power of 1 through 5, and some of those actions like gaining copper are very costly because it it will cost you 3 power to even get 1 piece of copper, whereas it only costs you a flat fee of 1 fish per power when you go to the, the fishery.
1: Yeah, so there's certainly an element of engine building there. Once you have enough power at a particular location, you can start putting down your shops, your trading houses, which can power up your future turns in that same space. There's definitely a, a, an element of sort of investing in particular actions. Uh, you can sort of prioritize if, if there's a location that you're tr- wanting to focus on for your strategy, you can sort of in, get in early, invest some, some buildings there and be able to be able to revisit that for, for cheaper down the line so yeah it's, it's a it's a certainly a I, I heard this described as a sandbox the way you can approach it on that and then
0: a lot of options as to how you choose to build up that engine one thing i appreciate about this game i mean it is possible for you to focus on just one thing you can move from <clears throat> one building to the very the building next over and, and you will unless you've moved yourself into a corner which is quite quite possible <laughs> to do you should have some options as to going to the adjacent space through or through a network of your assistants but if you go the i wouldn't say optimal way if you go the broad way as in place three assistants down on three different spaces then what you're doing is you're pre-planning your actions And this requires a certain degree of finesse. It it requires a certain degree of familiarity with the game and pre-planning that a lot of games don't really make you do. You know, we talked about architects, but architects, you can move from any action to any action. You don't have to pre-plan a a route or um, your next three turns. But in this game, you absolutely can, and it works to your advantage. And the other thing you have to contend with is just the straight up geography of the places. You said that this game board is created in a pyramid shape. The cool thing about that is it's created dynamically. Uh, If it's two players, you have a tiny pyramid. If it's three players, you have a medium size. And if it's four players, you have this massive pyramid, which is a little bit lopped off at the edge.
1: Or an Aztec temple, I guess.
0: Right, And there's a canal space, which is sort of like a dead zone, which creates an interesting dynamic in sort of getting stuck behind it. Nobody wants to get stuck behind the canal. In the the very largest spaces, there's even duplicates of some of the um, resource production spaces. So, I mean, we're talking about
1: where you place the assistants in those spaces, because the assistants don't inherently give you an immediate benefit you're basically just placing those to to invest and set yourself up for future turns and there's certainly an element of delayed gratification in whether you you can activate them immediately to to get a, a, a small benefit now or try and build them up all in one location to get a big bonus down the line and so there definitely is some forward planning there but the, the bigger uh, element to contend with really is the well, other players i guess that is to say because it's quite there is a, a big element of blocking each other off here i mean as per most worker placement games if you if you're if, if another player is a president is in a location you can't Put your president there so you you can't move into that space but even to so much as move through that space because you to get anywhere you have to be going from one location to another so to if you have to move through past another president you have to give that person money if you want to put an assistant down in that location where they have a president to sort of plan for your next turn you have to give them money so there's a, a big element of, of player interaction there. You can quite easily get, block yourself into a corner or sort of strategically try and block other people off from a, a location that you, you think they might be trying to get to.
0: Yeah, I think it's universally fair to say that money is a tight commodity in this game. You don't start with a lot. I think you start with three or four, depending on the number of players. So you want to keep a VN on hand. Uh, anyway, not to mention the additional ways you spend those like buying more shops or trading houses. So the bank initially is going to be a very popular space. Furthermore, even having a number of assistants and increasing the number of assistants you have is going to be a critical, you know, early to mid game strategy. You, you can't survive with just the initial eight assistants that they give you because you're investing, because you're pre planning, you're going to be seeding these assistants out there onto the map. And at some point, you're not going to have enough back at the head office to even take the next action effectively. So basically what you do is you try and reserve a certain amount of them, utilize them on your turn, and what you do is you take the action on your turn with your uh, president, and you gain back all of the assistants that were previously on that space. So you probably wanna get at least two, ideally three back, then you can play a full turn next turn of placing those assistants out again. One trick you can do is go to the employment office early on to pull more, assistance out of your personal warehouse or you might want to pay to gain more shops of which you start with two and those are those permanent pieces of cardboard that you can place on a space to boost your effectiveness on that space permanently or even the dreaded trading house (laughs) which (laughs) costs a bunch of money but when you place it down you gain a decent amount of points and you gain one yen from the bank Anytime any player takes an action on that space,
1: right? Yes, yeah, that's one of the, the few other ways to gain money. I mean, it's a, it's a very tight economy, and it's very easy to find yourself with no money, and so unable to to move through other 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 players. Like especially in a four player game, you, you end up in a corner, and suddenly you're surrounded on all sides, and literally can't pay to go through, or you spread your assistance too thin and don't have any to place on your next turn. So it, it is. Quite easy to, to put yourself in a, in a position where you're punished for playing poorly in this game and basically lose a turn having to pull everything back into your hand it can be a little intimidating in that sense but it's, 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 it's a very sandbox game but it's easy to, to sort of if you play poorly you don't play in the head well enough turns in advance or get, get cornered by your opponents it's, it's, it's quite easy to get punished there
0: there's that famous saying about splatter games where they say if you can't lose in the first turn, then there's no point in playing that first turn. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't say that exactly applies to this, but uh, this game is, it's not a gateway game. Uh, it's a, just a little bit more complex than that. Some some have called it a very brain burning game. To new players, it would be pretty difficult to to get over that initial hump, because uh, it's not like a lot of other games. Um, it has similarities to Istanbul, Architects like you mentioned, but just the sheer combination of some unique elements and then some more tried and true elements and make it a a challenging puzzle, a challenging act to juggle. So I should mention a couple other ways you can score points. There's the completing the orders, like I mentioned. There's putting down shops and trading houses, which score you some points. Technologies, some of them can earn you points. Uh, Some of them might earn you points at the end of the game even, or gain you money or points if you do certain types of actions. Uh, I said that you're collecting these national flags. There's a sort of a set collection element to those. And you gain at least one national flag on every technology and order that you fulfill. And then there's three randomized achievements. This is a very, very common mechanism a lot of games have. I Am Beyond the Sun that we talked about recently. Yeah, Beyond the Sun has those uh, randomized achievements. Underwater Cities has some. But there's three sort of categories and the first player to get them gets the highest amount of points, every other player can fulfill those achievements at any time, even after the first player, but they get slightly fewer points. So I think I would say that there's lots of ways to win this game. You can either go really hard on the orders, or you could try and fulfill the orders later, or maybe focus on engine building and putting cardboard down on the table. Uh, and then there's, of course, the notorious customs office, and the church. You want to tell us a little bit more about those?
1: Yeah, well, th- th- so there's basically two other boards off to one side that are a bit not quite area control. I'm trying to think of the right mechanism for it, but you basically, if you go to the, the respective tile, you can pay resources, either uh, imports, like this is a sort of premium uh, resource to go to the custom house or the church requires basically a spread of, of multiple different resources. But if you go to the respective tiles, pay these resources it allows you to put cubes onto these sideboards, basically where right. and, and they are
0: not just any cubes. They are in fact, your assistance, right?
1: Right. Yes. Uh, it's, it's easy to abstract that out, I guess, but yeah, you're, you're basically permanently investing those, those assistants and taking them away out of your pool. So I mean, same with the, with the achievements, you're losing those permanently, similar to the, the cathedral or the buildings in Architects. So you're diminishing your pool and so limiting yourself for the rest of the game, but investing in endgame scoring. And I mean, there's quite a lot of points to be had there, both immediate points and also at the end of the game for the person with the most assistance in each of those locations will get, we'll get another, another bonus.
0: Yeah, I like that aspect of the game is that it adds the extra complexity um, to the scoring. It's not too hard to work out. You can clearly read what the majority is, but essentially those mechanisms sort of round out the challenge. And I think if the game was only about fulfilling orders or only about claiming those few shop or trading house spaces on the board, it would be somewhat straightforward and boring. I think the, the church and the trading, the customs uh, office really mix it up. And I think some players are going to gravitate towards one or the other. I like the church, for instance. It's, it's fairly, um, interesting to me because you kind of gain this placement bonus and it's fairly easy to see who has the advantage in those spaces for both of them. Multiple players can achieve multiple sort of tiers on those tracks, but every segment of the track can only be claimed by one player. So if one person has claimed one of the tiers, it's very easy to read when someone else is higher on that track.
1: Yeah, I mean, each, each of these elements is quite simple. They're basically little mini-games. It's like these several little boards off to one side that are, you're interacting with as, as sort of micro-elements. So each, each one is quite simple, but there are several of them, obviously, across the game. There's so many different opportunities for scoring that taking it all in you know, at the glance can be quite intimidating. It's, it's I, I think, one of the biggest issues that people are familiar with this is it's just that it's a table hog there are so many boards both with the the action spaces and then these the the, the boards for the church the, the the customs the orders the the technologies they all have their own board especially in a four-player game there's like two different technology boards two different order boards so it, it can be a, quite a lot to i mean both in terms of physical space but also just to take it all in and try and process all of this information all these potential points from coming from every
0: different direction. I recall at uh, the game shop where I first played this game often, we would pull out two X-Wing skirmish boards uh, they, <laughs> that they had sitting around, table extensions that they would add on top of the tables, and we would have to pull two of them and put them side by side to lay out all of the the main board and then the sideboards and, the, and the score track. Not to mention the resources and all of that. So it is definitely a table hog. And even the virtual, even the digital version of the game has some challenges that are a little annoying. But I think BGA actually does it fairly well. And, uh, you know, I applaud that, um, that conversion of the game. Yeah, I,
1: I struggled a little bit with the digital implementation just because you have to like, there's no way of fitting all of this, all of the boards onto the screen at once. So you have to like open and close tabs to check information. Um, it's easy to forget to keep an eye on a particular thing. Like you, you might you might forget to check check the church board, and not realize that someone's racking up points there. Whereas on the, on the physical board, that's always sort of within your eyesight, basically. The the one benefit to the digital implementation is just tracking the end game because it's like four, five different ways that the game can end based on what each player is doing. So, and that's quite hard to keep track of in the
0: physical game. Right. I believe it's, uh, you're unable to draw any more order cards, uh, unable to draw any more technology cards perhaps. And then some player has built all of their six shops or all of their four trading houses. I think that's yeah. It. I feel like there's
1: one more that we're forgetting, but there, like, it, it, you have to basically be counting everyone's shops on the board at all times in the physical game to make sure to, to tell how close they are to the to that end trigger. And in the in the digital version, this keeps a little tally in the corner there, so you can always see how close everyone is at a, at a glance. So that, there's, that, there's that that benefit at least.
0: Yeah, I would say that this game has a lot of things going for it in the fact that it's highly variable. You shuffle these shops and spaces uh, in a different arrangement every time, face down, then you flip them out. Then you put out the shop bonuses, and then you set out the separate um, five power bonuses, which only one player can claim, the first player to utilize five power on that space. It is fairly time consuming you putting out the five (laughs) technologies the five orders on every board and then there's multiple technology boards and multiple order boards depending on the number of (laughs) achievements and the achievements so yeah it is time consuming to set up it is time consuming to set down but you know it kind of goes with the territory
1: i mean that that replayability is is a big boon for it i mean that that's one of the big benefits is that every game is going to be quite different although there are there are, even regardless of what the layout is or there are certainly some locations that feel more powerful than others i feel yeah there are, there are some locations like the employment agency you mentioned the one that allows you to get more assistance more shops so that's pretty vital i think i know in the last game one or two of players tried to avoid it but largely you're all going to be jostling for that and if you get blocked off at the wrong time it can be quite punishing whereas others like the the trading house i think that that lets you swap like basically trade resources for 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 the yen and vice versa i don't think anyone visited that location at all last that's chinatown
0: it's actually really it's really useful depending on a certain strategy you choose to pursue but uh you're right it's generally less popular of an action it's it's
1: quite niche but that way And, and and the like the positioning can further exacerbate that like if one of those not so useful locations. He's on a far corner. Well, then it's never going to see any use throughout the entire game, basically. So, in, in some of the in that, in that sense, some of the locations didn't quite feel as as balanced or dynamic, I guess.
0: And that and some of them felt a little too tight. I really like that aspect of the game. Is that uh, <laughs> the the orientation? It's supposed to make it's supposed to make things lopsided, right? It's literally intended to make things unequal, and I like that because that means. Basically, the terrain is different every time. Uh, it's like a you know procedurally generated world, like um, No Man's Sky or something, uh, or, or an actual roguelike. It's the same ingredients, but mixed up in a different way. I really like that, because you come up with these scenarios where some space is totally underappreciated in one game, and it's, <laughs> it's the top of the pile on this other game based on whatever achievements came up or, or whatnot. So that part of it I really appreciate. In the last game we played, I think you and Matt were going pretty hot and heavy on the employment agency, just like you said. And I saw you guys going for it, and I knew that I, I just wasn't gonna get there. So <laughs> I just zoomed in on the board and I saw that <laughs> three resource collection spaces next to each other, or like really in a in a in a triangle, had warehouse extraction bonuses on them. So I made a choice to fully avoid the employment agency because I could pull seven pieces out if I managed to just focus on that, those three actions. And I think I achieved it. I think I got all the warehouse, all the assistance, all the shops that I needed without ever going to the employment agency. So that's just an example of what unique setups can give you and make it a totally different game.
1: There are quite some good ways to, to improvise there. I mean, similarly, I was focusing on the employment agency, but had no access to the metal that was on the other side of the on the other side of the map. But I was able to utilize a couple of, of locations down by the employment agency that had metal as like a, a bonus. The, the five power bonus, the first person to get five power in that location would give you a little bit of metal. So I was able to scrounge together just enough scrap metal to get the orders that I needed. And so yeah, it's definitely a great degree of improvisation there in those strategies there's a great moment when the, when you first lay out those boards and you first see the layout of, of how the tiles and sort of just everyone zeroing in on sort of calculating those optimal routes and oh the the t is right next to the the trading the Chinatown town and, and looking for those combos based on, on on the layout it's quite it's quite fun
0: i think it really fulfills that business fantasy of mapping out new opportunities and seeing them before the others and getting to them before uh, other people do so i mean i'm not a business person but i think that's what they were going for and i think they achieved that sense of uh, business simulation
1: at the same time there is that wild card factor of other players because the board is it's so open but also you're prone to being blocked i mean basically every every t- every other player's move is going to impact what your options are and so every if it feels like you're constantly having to recalculate recalculate recalculate
0: um hey, that's what board <laughs> games are man if it wasn't i'd be playing solitaire
1: it reminds me a little, it, it, it seems a little more sensitive to that similar to uh five tribes which i've not played in a while but that was very much prone to that like you you can get your options change so dramatically from one turn to the next. It just can be a little bit prone to analysis paralysis. It hasn't been terrible for us, I don't think, but if your group is prone to that, I think this game is a little little sensitive.
0: Yeah, this game, I absolutely love it. You might have heard from my uh, glowing uh, opinion (laughs) about a lot of the details. I've played it dozens and dozens and dozens of times at this point on BGA, and I'm happy to play it essentially anytime anyone asks. That said... I'm probably at the point now where it is it is starting to feel a little samey, a little repetitive, because, you know, once you get used to those components, even if they're arranged differently, it's just sort of variations on a theme, a lot like, you know, say, one of my other favorite games, Agricola, you know, once you've seen those 50 cards, or what have you 70 cards, you sort of build up these heuristic patterns, right? You, you, you know how the pieces work with each other, and then it's just executing on a plan, which is another challenge I enjoy. But at this point, still loving Yokohama. I might take a little break from it for a while, but I'm always happy to return.
1: Yeah, well, I'd love to get a physical game going uh, at some point. I, I, I do have the physical game, but some other factors, we, we didn't quite get that to the table for, for this episode, unfortunately. I, d- I did mess with it a little bit, uh, mucked through a, an unofficial solo variant, which I, I didn't found particularly engaging, but that's, that's not worth belabouring. Uh, but I, I do like, like it does have a, g- a great table presence, <laughs> regardless of how long it takes to set up and, and how much space it takes up. It, it, it certainly f- uses that space quite well. So I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to try that sometime soon.
0: But yeah, yeah it's, and I, uh, I have the uh, deluxe version of Yokohama Duel, which I have yet to crack open, i right, yes. happy to show you that variant on this game, that uh, new boxed product, which um, hasn't had a lot of buzz, but you know, I, I really have high hopes for.
1: Well, perhaps we can revisit that for a future episode sometime. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, one final analogy is uh, I was watching the review from No Pun Included, and he noted that, this game kind of fits just just like the 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 Meiji period is about Japan importing new technologies from the West and sort of perfecting them. This game is a Japanese designer taking game mechanics from sort of from European Western board games, sort of schools of design, and perfecting that. So <laughs> the game kind of reflects
0: the theme in a sense. Yeah, I like that aspect of this game a lot is that uh, similar to another game, not by Japanese designers, but uh, Japanese business theme is uh, Nippon by uh, What's Your Game, I believe. It's, it's like a lot of those games where the designers obviously have a great passion for a sense of place. It makes the game feel unique and lived in a little bit. You, you get to see like a little cues and, and jokes and touches about uh, a location that you you really don't get in a more generic trading in the Mediterranean sort of game. You get a sense of, you know, the passion and the love that the designers have put in a place. And also, to that point, you know, just Japanese games are just a little bit kooky. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. I've
1: not played that many uh, Japanese games beyond this, I don't think. A couple, like, obviously, a lot of them are quite small. Like, you have the... Oh, what's what's the the yeah, the oink games? Oink, oink,
0: oink games, yeah. I have played a couple of those. Got the, the Seiji Kanai games, like Love Letter.
1: Yeah, they all tend to be pretty small and compact, and this is really breaking away from that and being this big box economic sandbox game. It's quite quite
0: unique. Yeah, well, let's hope for new interesting games from different locales in the future. I, for one, really like this one.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's always it's always great seeing diverse sort of takes from, from other cultures. I really enjoy, enjoy this one too. So hoping to play it again
0: soon. Awesome. Well, it's just a button click away on BGA. (laughs) Shall we talk about the next game we'll be playing? Yes, well, I think you may have teased that a little bit in the in
1: the intro there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was talking about Avengers. Our next game is going to be a video game, of course, and it's going to be the big budget of slick looking game called The Avengers, based on, of course, the the Marvel. I believe the title is Marvels The Avengers. <laughs> and it's an interesting game. I'm not going to go too much into depth into it. I'm just going to say, who? Wow! I uh, I booted that game up as soon as it came to Game Pass, and then then we started playing the long dark right after that and well I got some virtual whiplash playing those two games back to back to back
1: yes I mean this is like the first big triple a game I think we're, we're covering for the podcast which i I don't play that many much of unless they happen to come to to game pass so I mean I've obviously the reviews around this have been quite mixed so I think we'll hopefully have some, some interesting things to discuss that rather than like most, I think most of the games we've played have been quite glowing on. So I'm hoping we might get a little more varied <laughs> discussion going on for this one, but that's, that's, we'll be covering that.
0: Yeah. You know, I like it when a game has its set of wrinkles. So yeah, we'll be revealing a lot more about that game uh, in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to it.
1: And we, as I hinted, we have our first guests of the podcast coming up on the episode after that so we haven't quite announced yet so keep an eye out on that we're, we're very excited to to bring some other voices to the podcast
0: and uh will we be having a game stream anytime soon
1: yeah i think i uh, will quite likely to, to stream a game of yokohama as is usually the case so we have that on 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 bga so it's quite easy to to stream a game of that
0: so keep an eye on our social media for more information well, lots of fun games are coming up in this uh, fall, turning into winter, and uh, I'm hoping that Santa Claus brings me a nice shiny console or uh, a <laughs> new um, 4K TV coming up soon, because uh, there's a lot of fun games to be played. Yes,
1: I, I literally have my, my mouse hovering over uh, by now for is Risk of Rain 2, a, a game on, on Steam there. Oh, I so. want to play that too. <laughs> so yeah, well, maybe, maybe we can bounce into that for, another, for a future episode okay well uh i've been daniel winter and i've been mark uissa uh, game game on enjoy the games play, play those <laughs> games <laughs> All bye games. everyone
0: bye <laughs>